Well, welcome everybody. We've got lots of great things going on tonight. So it's cooling off. Ah, isn't that nice? I mean, usually we're out there and we're going, I need some hot coffee. Hot coffee, please. And tonight we're opening windows and trying to get circulation going. So, hey, Anna, it's good to see you. Yeah, so did I see everybody found their way here. We found out this morning that, that um, I'm not used to having this thing come out like this. So if I fall on my face, I'll just stay there and pray for a while tonight, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, we found out this morning that they, TCA was over there. And so I said, that's great. We'll just be cozy in here. So wonderful. So just squeeze your groups together however it works. You can double up or whatever. I know there's some people that are sick and some people working and not able to be here. So um, it's great to have you all here. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, I need to sil silence our phones. <laughs> what a great reminder, right? Uh, okay. Mine is silenced. Okay. Um, look. What do y'all see different? Isn't it beautiful? Do y'all see the new edition? Who sees the new edition? Yeah? Yeah. Right here, do you see the glory coming out? The heart, glory of man. The blue and the pink together. Glory of man, isn't that beautiful? Completer. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, come on in. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's, Jan has done an amazing job. When I first asked her, Carol's the one who actually had the idea to have an open canvas. And um, we got to talking about it, and it's like, who would be an artist? Oh, Jan, that's light is in your eyes, isn't it, Anna? Sorry. There. Sorry, we all paid for that. <laughs> but Anna's better, and so is Allie. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Glory was shining in your face. Yeah. Um, tonight, we're going to be doing our Bible study first again, and then I'll talk, and then we'll have a song just for a contemplative song that you can write on the back of your papers, and then we'll have a time of individual prayer. So there'll be some of the prayer, some of the facilitators, there'll be a prayer team up here afterwards. So if the Lord stirs your heart tonight after the talk and the song, we want to really just invite you up to pray and deal with anything the Lord is stirring in your heart. Um, uh, also, and then Beverly, um, I was, we were at staff meeting yesterday, and I was telling Steve some of the things that were on my heart to share tonight. And he says, well, you need to talk to Beverly Saylor, Saller, right? And um, so we talked today, and uh, some of the things for the fall, a class that she'll be doing in the fall that I think will just be a real blessing to anybody that the Lord puts it on their heart. So if you could, wouldn't mind, come on up and sharing uh, what that is, that would be great. Um. I mean, really, I've got Yeah. Um, so I used to, I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I used to facilitate groups for women survivors of childhood sexual abuse at First Presbyterian Church for a few years. Um, and they actually approached me um, 
the program in Denver did, and but they're a secular group, and I knew in my heart that I was looking for a biblical program, which did not exist until this year. And so, long story short, um, we're going to be offering a program this fall called Into In the Wildflowers Counseling Series, and it's for restoration and redemption for survivors of women survivors of childhood sexual abuse, and it'll run for 10 weeks, we think on Tuesday evenings, it'll be for a couple of hours, and so if you or someone you know um, needs this support, please come and be saved, and let the Lord touch your heart. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, Beverly. That's wonderful. I think we need these kind of things, and part of part of the it, it will you'll see how that'll just integrate. The Lord has just dovetailed these things. The Lord's put this on Beverly's heart years ago, and then months ago, and uh, the Lord has put things on mine. When we started this semester, the Lord put on my heart tonight, and I just think He is just like a father wants to protect his daughter. He wants his daughter to be radiant. Our Heavenly Father wants us to be free and radiant. And so it is, it is in that, the vein of that, I think the Holy Spirit is just really loving on his daughters. And he wants us to be, to be free, to be uh, healed and restored. And so anyhow, we had a great chat on the phone today. Um, if there's noises, feel free at any time to close the doors. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can close this one maybe. Uh, I, I won't distract me as much. <laughs> so in review from last week, we're just going to dive right in here. 1 Corinthians eleven seven B and C says, Man is the image and glory of God, but woman, woman is the glory of man. And so um, let me, I'll go over this, and then we'll do our Bible study, okay? The, we'll do the review here. We glorify another by doing something that praises or honors them, and we give glory by being something that is demonstrating praiseworthy or distinguishing characteristics. So we, we, give, we give glory by doing something, and we give glory by doing something. So doing and being, I mean. So there's a doing, and there's a being. Yeah, I was repeating myself. So how men are the glory of God. They share God's masculine roles of father, son, bridegroom, husband, warrior, king, and priest. Okay, these are the roles of God. These are the roles of men, being glory of God. They picture God in a way women do not. How women are the glory of man? Woman pictures the church by sharing in her feminine roles. The church is a feminine entity. You read Proverbs 31, and if you've never read Proverbs 31 as the church, you'll have a whole new 
appreciation for Proverbs 31. When you read Proverbs 31 as this is the church, because you read that and you go, how could any one woman do all this? Well, when you begin looking at it, and then when the Lord showed me that, I said something to my husband, and he read Proverbs 31 in a whole different light as, be, as it being the entity of the church. So anyhow, just a, she responds to him as helper in the corresponding roles of mother, bride, wife, and queen. Feminine roles also answer and correspond to the masculine roles. They are a glory to the man. When women, when women willingly and joyfully fulfill these roles, it is a glory to her man. Responding to his initiation, following his lead, helping as a wife and a life giver, whether single or married, bringing glory to man in their roles. The sexual response of a woman to a man is a special glory to him, to one man, one woman to one man. As a woman, we love being covered and adorned, whether it is by his protection, provision, or love, or by beautiful clothes and coverings. You know, there's just something about being covered, isn't there? Uh, simply because it's basic to our glory as a woman in a way that is not basic to a man. So, I mean, we buy, you know, we buy our guys clothes and that type of thing, but it doesn't quite register to them like when they buy us something. It's just because our glories are different. So, anyhow, let's go ahead. And here's the thing. If he adores her, he will adorn her. And we see that in Ezekiel 16. It's just, that's just part of what it is. If he adores her, he will adorn her. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into the Bible study. Oh, and there's surveys on there too. I knew I was missing something. I didn't have that on here. The surveys. Yeah, no names on the surveys. There's surveys on your table. Just, uh, just uh, an accounting. It gives us uh, feedback from you. Don't put your names on it. I mean, if you want to, you can. If you want to write me a nasty letter, a love letter, go right ahead and sign it, and then we'll work it out. We'll do the Covenant of Harmony. <laughs> um, and then... and. Just leave those, turn them in, or what do you, yeah, yeah, you can fold them in half and give them, yeah, put them in the middle of the, t fold them in half, put it in the middle of the table, it'd be great. So we'll take about three minutes here, zip through those, and then go right into your Bible study, and we'll take about 30 minutes for the Bible study. Okay, super. Let's go ahead and get going. So what were some thoughts from the, any, any aha moments? What were some thoughts? Yes. Yeah. So we were reading the scripture where um, uh, Mary was, was it Mary? No, it was her. Uh, in John 12, Mary was uh, anointing Jesus' feet. And I was just reading that, and in that moment, I was thinking, okay, there's these all these sinners coming to touch Jesus, if you think about it. And yet, a Pharisee, you wouldn't dare touch a Pharisee. Right. You wouldn't dare. No. And they're supposed to be holy men. Right. right. And yet, sinners were coming to touch Jesus. You think of all the mm. different scenarios. Mm -hmm. He's the holy of holies. And yeah. yet, yeah. there was this draw of sinners mm -hmm. touching him without reservation. Yeah. And yet, you knew a Pharisee was standing over there, you'd have to yell, unclean, if you were Yeah. Wow. I'm just telling you. 
That's that's beautiful. He even went to people and touched the withered hand and touched the leper. And they didn't just come to him. He went to them and touched them. He wasn't afraid of their their sin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is really, that's beautiful. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Yes, Karen? <laughs> yes, Karen, what was your question? I already had it in my brain. It said it started with a wedding and ended with a wedding. Yes. The conversation was, what wedding? We missed the invitation. At the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible starts with a wedding and it ends with the wedding in Revelation. No, no garter belt or boutonnieres. <laughs> well, he officiated the first one. He brought Eve to Adam. Yeah, he was he was there, and then at the last one, he's going to be the bridegroom, <laughs> and it. That's true. His first miracle. Where was Jesus' first miracle? Yeah. I mean, great things happen at weddings. Yeah, it is. This is a divine romance. You've heard that term. It really is a divine romance. So, um, yet when these things, we talk about if a man adores her, he will adorn her. If he loves her, we talk about these beautiful things, yet when these things are not present in the relationship between a man and his wife or a father affirming his daughter's femininity, we find a woman's glory dim and distant, don't we? She is left unprotected, insecure, rejected, shamed, and unloved. And so we're just going to talk about this. Um, If we can sexually sin by an immoral thought, then we have all committed sexual sin. In one sense. Okay? There's, there's no better than thou in here. We've all... I be the chief sinner of everybody in here. I have fallen. I have sinned. I have fallen way short. And I still... I, it's not like I've arrived at this place. I still deal with it. I don't, we were talking about there. This is something... Do we, do we trust in Jesus Christ? Yes! Do I fall short? Yes. There's something, you know, old mindsets, the culture, the air we breathe in this world, it sneaks in the back door. And I begin doing things that really shows I'm not trusting Christ. If you ask me, am I trusting Christ? Yes, I trust Christ. But we, we need to run to him daily. This is the beauty. There's, he, and he doesn't get offended by our sins. He's not a, the Pharisees are offended by our sin. Jesus, God isn't. He died for it. He sees us. God sees us through the blood of Jesus. You're redeemed. You're healed. You're set free. Don't, we don't see ourselves through our sin anymore. We see ourselves through the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansed by the blood. So glory of man fallen. Ladies, we are either living for God's glory or our own. There's no in-between ground. Anything less then living for God's glory will open us up to Satan and eventually into bondage to him. There's really no middle ground. When we have eyes to see the romance of our redeeming God, we see how important it is to have passion and worship. 
This saves us. This keeps us from sliding back into the old ways. And the heart, the heart-wrenching, the rejection of our apathy towards him. When we find ourselves apathetic towards the Lord, that's when we find ourselves slipping into things that will take us into bondage. God bless you. Things that will, that will hinder us and those around us. There are numerous reasons why the glory of man aspect is distant or difficult to embrace. It could be because as a girl, she didn't see her father appreciate her mother and affirm her mother's femininity. If you're like me and your parents ended up divorced, um, that can have a big impact on your glory of man, on, on how your expression of glory of man. I, I can remember, I'm sure they probably did because there were six kids. Um, I remember seeing them kiss twice and hold hands once. I didn't see it. My dad would say, you have a, your mother is a, she, she's, a, she's a good woman. I appreciate her. But there wasn't, there wasn't the divine romance between them. Both amazing people. If you met them, you would love them both. Amazing people. But they didn't get this figured out. My dad didn't get it figured out. God love him. Amazing man. Because of his own wounds. And his own hurts. And don't think that your wounds and your hurts only affect you. They affect Everyone around you, especially those you love the most, those closest to you, your wounds. So it's so important to allow the Holy Spirit into that dark box that we keep the lid on thinking, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to let it out, and it's not going to affect anybody. It does. It will. Um, oh, my gosh. I forgot to bring. I was going to read out of, like, out of Barbara Mauser. Uh, yeah, did anybody have their five husbands? I totally forgot to bring it. Oh, pardon? Oh my gosh! But there's good stuff in there. I want you to get. <laughs> yeah, I'll. I I have no, nothing here to jog my mind. It's uh, read third paragraph on page eighty-eight. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Where were? Let's think with me. I know. You're getting it. Yeah, no, that we would be at the end here. Anyhow, um, okay, what did I say here? Let me jog my memory. Um, that can have a big impact on your. My grandkids were there when I left. They were they were in and out today, and I I didn't have the time I thought I was going to have today. I didn't know they were going to be there, and then they were there when I left. And it's like I've got my notes, and I've got clothes other than sweats on. <laughs> so, anyhow. Um, Pardon? Isn't the glory of man in our purity and our thoughts? Yeah. And that that, you know, that pours into everything else that we do. It brings beauty and softness and grace. Oh, it does. Yeah. No. Yeah. Glory. Say it again. Oh, here. Say it again. <laughs> so we can be glory of man. <laughs> I don't even. With our purity. Okay. When you're pure, it's like when you buy um, buy something, like a piece of fruit or something, and it's it's pure, there's no blemish there, but it's well cared for, and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. the, our flowers, the same way, if there's no blemish there. So when we're pure, 
as we can be, first of all, in our hearts and our spirits, in our minds and our thinking, um, and then in our physical appearance. There's, it brings, it brings um, honor to a man, mm-hmm. and it gives him encouragement. It builds him up. Mm-hmm. You know, so when he's been out at work and having a hard, hard day, you know, and he's beaten up by the world, and he comes home to his wife who has taken a few minutes to prepare her heart and her mind and, you know, even put on a little bit of lipstick, whatever, comb her hair, whatever. And that's, that's not always possible, especially if you have a million kids. But um, if, if she does that, it, there's something that touches his heart, and he, he feels successful. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. He can have the worst day in the world, but if a woman does that for him, mm-hmm. he, he feels like he's, a, he's blessed. Yeah. And that builds him up, and then he can go out and say, come on to me, world, my wife loves me. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, I mean, the, the lipstick, the clothes, or whatever, that's an outward expression of the inward heart. That's and I, I asked Denny, uh, Phyllis had me ask Denny some questions about some things that she and Barbara were doing. And, um, and he said, one of the things he said, he said, I, I look, I know, I forget the exact words he used, but he said, I know you look forward to me coming home, and that means a lot. Do they know that your heart is for them, that they're looking, you're looking forward to them coming home? Yeah. Um, anyhow, this was just about the, the dim, how it's dim in distance, how a father's, how a little girl, when she doesn't have, when, she's, when he doesn't really cultivate her femininity as a little girl, then it makes the glory of man aspect kind of distant. As, as she grows. And um, my dad affirmed me. I mean, I can understand that because he affirmed me. I knew he loved me, but I could work as hard as the boys. I could haul the hay as, you know, I could milk the cow as fast. I could, you know, and <laughs> what? I said, they should see you drive backwards. Oh, when did you see me drive backwards? When you were at my house. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, turn your chair around so I can see your face. <laughs> Comanche. I did, and my dad could go sixty miles an hour backwards, so <laughs> he could go fast. I guess I did, yeah. So, I mean, he affirmed me in my being, and I knew he loved me, but he, it wasn't the frills and the ruffles and that type of thing, which you know it doesn't have to be frills and ruffles. But I think there needs to be that. So, to encourage our men and our brothers to. You know, brothers, to affirm those feminine things in a woman is really important. Um, so we talked about that. The first thing that they, they saw, it was interesting because Jan did the, the, the questions. And I was just so, it was so amazing how she had the same things that I have in here. They just really dovetailed. The Holy Spirit just leads and guides. I love it. So the first thing they saw, uh, that they covered was, uh, I mean, I don't really feel shame about my elbows and then by seeing my elbows or my knees. You know, I wouldn't think to cover that if somebody walked in, I didn't have clothes on. Oh, my elbows and my knees. You know, that's just not it. I, and we were talking back there. There's, they, they didn't have, there was no pornography. Neither one of them had been violated. There was, you know, there, nothing of that was there. This is, there's, our sexuality is very core to who we are. 
and any sin that we have, even sexual or non-sexual, affects our sexuality. Yes. That's good. Yeah. And that's really what he's after in us. That's why he hates us. We're made in the image of God. And so that's, he went right after the reproduction of the image of God. Interesting. That's great. That's really good. Yes. Because of the lack of the fear of God. And because, because of that, and people don't understand it when, you know, it's that, that vase you've seen on the, the antique road shows where somebody brings in this vase that they've had a potted plant in or it's been a doorstop and the guy looks at it and goes, oh, this is $50,000 and it's been lost for 150 years. And he's just trembling with excitement that we've been looking for this, you know? And that's, oh, it's been a doorstop. Uh, oh, yeah, no idea. Well, I bought it. I, I got it in a garage sale with a plan in it, you know. And they don't understand the creator of it. They don't understand the value of it. And that's the same way with our sexuality. Um, and we need to be teaching it to our young men and women. Because without understanding of this, ladies, we misuse it. And that's exactly what we're seeing is a misuse of it. In the process of, of studying for this and looking things up in this, I saw some things that I wish I hadn't have seen. And they weren't necessarily the pornographic nature, but it's, it's just, just a total disrespect for their sexuality. It's, it's, just, it's become nothing but pleasure. It's become nothing but a, a, an idol. And I mean, pleasure we to have that between a husband and wife, as in Christ and the church. There is to be, it, we're not just God's workhorses, you know. We are, we are to have a, a, a wonderful, delightful relationship with the Lord as a husband is with a wife. So anyhow, that's not in my notes. So there is a deep, in God... <laughs> There is a deep and corresponding tie between our sexual and our spiritual natures. This is very real. It, is, it may not be easy to understand, um, but they are tied together, and inextricably tied together. 1 Corinthians 7.4 says, The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. There's no other relationship on earth that we do that with. I mean, we submit ourselves to authority. We, we, we honor one another. We respect each other. But there is nobody that has authority over my body like Denny does. And there is, there is, there is nobody that has authority over his body like I do. And, and there shouldn't be. This is a one man, one woman, Christ in the church picture here. Ultimately, our sin... Or righteousness is to the Lord and deeply, deeply affects our sexuality. Galatians 5, 19 to 20a says, Now the practices of the sinful nature are clearly evident. They are sexual, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, total irresponsibility, lack of self-control. 
And that's some of what I saw. And it just so grieved my heart, the conversations and the things that they were saying and how they were portraying it. It's, it is, it's sad because they've lost the sacredness and the beauty and the holiness of what it is. They, uh, the thought that their, sexual, their, their, their sexuality has anything to do with reproducing the image of God is nowhere on their grid. And that's not the only thing it's for, but it is a beautiful part of it. God is the one who made the sexual glory of the man and woman closely linked together. He has given the man power to glorify and elevate his wife above what she may deserve. And God gave the woman the power to glorify and build up the man with her response and praise above what he may have deserved and earned. I thought it was beautiful, these two women and the questions and how they, they really honored the Lord. They, this, is, this is the honoring and glorifying by the doing and honor and glorifying by the being. It's such a beautiful picture. And, what, and my thought was, what am I doing to Denny when he's facing hard things that's honoring and glorifying to him, that builds him up? It's, Jesus needed this. This was something, our men need this. Jesus needed this. And just as readily as we have the power to lift up, we also have the fallen capacity to tear each other down. We spiral up together and we plummet down together. When men and women become idolatrous, self-glorifiers, the sexual beauty is destroyed for both men and women. When women take the fatal, make the fatal choice to trust in their own beauty instead of trusting in God, they picture the fallen glory of man we see repeated over and over in both the Old and New Testaments. I want to read this out of Ezekiel 16, 16 to 19. I love the, the first picture of the first uh, 15 verses of Ezekiel 16. It's just such a beautiful picture of how... how a man can treat a woman, how God treats Israel, how he saves her and, and adores her and adorns her. Uh, here, verse 16 to 19, it says, we see a graphic picture of idolatry. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver. And you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them. And you offered my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil, and honey I gave to you to eat, you offered as fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares the sovereign Lord. Can you imagine a husband lavishing these things, giving these wonderful things to his wife? And then he goes off to work, and the cable man comes, and she lavishes these things on him while he's at work. How, how, how horrifying that would be. You, you listen to Song of Solomon, you read through Song of Solomon, 
and it talks about the, the food and the, how he clothes her and the, the desire and the honey and the honeycomb and the, all these beautiful things, the, the foods that they eat. This, there's something very intimate about the foods. And when we eat with somebody, we don't usually sit down and eat with an enemy, do we? Unless we're spying out the land or something. But we sit with friends. We sit, it's a, eating together is an intimate act. Let's take a look at the pattern to the fallen glory of man and just how horrific it really is. Um, uh, so in Ezekiel 16, 16 to 19, it is a misplaced trust. So we have misplaced trust. She shifts from trusting God to trusting in her own beauty. Then that leads to false worship of other gods, gods, things, or people. Then in Ezekiel 16, 20, verses 20 to 21, comes rejected motherhood in the killing and sacrifice of their children. Verses, verse 22, we see ingratitude for all God has done for her. Verse 25 to 33, we see her, desc- her described as lewd by God. She was increasingly coarse, hardened, obscene, and seared in conscience. Do we see that? That's where we are. Then 28 to 30, we see through her, her harlotries, her insatiability, unable to be satisfied, focused on anything besides God. We will only lead to it will only lead to more cravings and an inability to be satisfied at all. And in verse forty-five, it describes the hatred of husband and children is the lowest of fallen nature. Do you see the progression? When our eyes shift, when our focus shifts from the Lord, we go to misplaced trust, false worship, rejected motherhood, ingratitude, lewd insatiability, and hatred of husband and children. How does God judge this idolatry of beauty? How does he judge this? We see in Isaiah 3.24, he removes the beauty. He takes it off. He, remo- he removes it. It's become an idol. He's, he has sworn that he will get rid of all idols. He will, he will, he, he's a jealous God. In Ezekiel verse 39... And the Amplified, it says, I will also hand you over to your lovers, and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels, and they will leave you naked and bare. Ladies, this is where losing our focus from God leads to. And at any point in there, the sooner we turn back to look to the Lord, the less likely we are to have this plummet into shame. Her glory will be turned to shame. Her lovers will be God's agents to punish her. She is humiliated before the women she despised. Romans 1, 18 to 27 gives us a clear and sound explanation of what we see in Ezekiel 16. Um, I'm going to read... Let's take some turns reading this. I think I really think we need to read this. It's quite a few verses, but I think we really need to read this. Um, who wants to take 18 to 20? Where are we at, 
Romans, we're at Romans uh, 8, 1, 18 to 27. So who wants to take Romans 18, Romans 1, 18 to 20? Okay, Rachel. And then we need Romans 21 to 23. Okay. And then 24 and 25. Okay. And then 26 and 27. Okay, Dina. All right. Read loud. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, Function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Hmm. So here we see a New Testament version, an explanation of Ezekiel 16. Why is homosexuality wrong? That's a big question. That's why I wonder. We know it's wrong according to the Bible, but why is it wrong? Men are the glory of God, right? Women are the glory of man. Women take on the masculine role. Men take on the masculine roles. Women take on the feminine roles. When you have two men who are the glory of God having sexual relationships together, that is a picture of male-to-male erotic love. That is not in the Trinity. There is no erotic love in the Trinity. When you have, and so it's a lie about who God is. When you have two women that have erotic sexual relationships with one another, then that is a picture of idolatry. And that's why the church turns inward to love herself and rejects God. That's, that's a picture of, of the church rejecting God. Um, that's why homosexuality is, and that was another paragraph I was going to read to you that Barbara so eloquently explains, but in a nutshell, that's why homosexuality is wrong. Can you imagine, I mean, I think of Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Ronald Reagan had a, a, a love for the men that led with him. His, his cabinet, the people that were with him, that, he, that worked, he worked closely with. He had a, certain, a great relationship with them. But he didn't love them like he loved Nancy. Do you see the difference? Okay. Love and shame. Why is the opposite? What is the opposite of love? 
shame. Yeah. I thought hate as well the first time I, I really thought about it in 2000. But then I quickly realized it's shame. Shame is rooted in fear. And it is not just a feeling or emotion. It is an identity. Just as love is not just a feeling or emotion, it is an identity. Some have said shame is the most powerful human emotion. I believe love is. Why? Because at the root of shame is the fear of being disconnected, cut off, or humiliated. If there is not something greater that we fear being disconnected or cut off from, or a state that is desired greater than humiliation, then there would be nothing to fear, would there be? It would just be a different level of emotion on the human continuum. God is love, and love is God. Love is the greatest identity we can step into. Brene Brown describes guilt as, I've done something bad, and shame as, I am bad. Shame is a powerful human emotion that becomes a part of our identity if we allow it. It is the same with love. It is the most powerful human emotion known to man. Love says, uh, the end quote, and there's somewhere from Brene Brown. Anyhow, love says, you are loved no matter who you are or what you do. That's what love says. Every man, woman, boy, and girl can tap into this identity and live in the most powerful emotion known to man, and that is love. We can tap into it through Christ. Why is that? This is why sexual abuse is so devastating because, because when it is kept in the dark, it does not go away. It doesn't go away. It makes us feel unworthy of love and it causes guilt. It causes shame and disconnection to dim our beautiful glory of man aspect and how we walk that out and how we, how we express our glory of man. From RAIN, Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, here's a few statistics. And in my notes, there's more things. If you ever want to go to my notes and get the website or anything like that, there you can go online and they eventually get there at some point in time. But if you need it before then, of course, ask me. Um, one out of every six American women has been the victim of an attempted... And these are, these are older stats, I think from like 2003 because they're probably higher now. Beverly, you would know. Um, but in 2003, um, one out of every six American women has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. 14.8% completed rapes, 2.8% attempted rape. 17.7 million American women have been victims of attempted or completed rape. That's a lot of, that's a, that's a lot of women. Nine of every ten rape victims were female in 2003. 15% of sexual assault and rape victims are under age 12. 15% under age 12. This was in 2003. I would imagine it's higher now. And this is from, the, from Darkness to Light on their website. It said 90% of child ab sex abuse victims know their abuser. 90% of child 
sexual abuse victims know their abuser. These stats are staggering when you think of the individual lives that they affect. My testimony of how God turned my shame to glory. When I was around nine, there was a trusted young man to watch me while my mom was at work. And over the course of about six months, he molested me three different times. And uh, I lived with that. I never said anything to anybody. It was never discussed. That was just, that was just in me until um, I felt a darkness. I felt a darkness. I felt an isolation. Um, I felt a guilt and a shame that it was something I did. It marked me. It was, there were times I didn't even want to live. I didn't understand it. And my, I mean, as a child, you don't understand these things. I didn't want to live at times. And it affected how I saw myself and it affected how I saw others. Um, as Song of Solomon would say, in Song of Solomon 8.4, it says, Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. And that's in marriage. It was early on. And I know I'm not the only one. In a room this size, I know that there's women that have, just statistically, there's women that have dealt with being sexually abused, whether in your adult years or in your, in your in childhood. It awakened a sexual awareness before it was time. In God's love and grace, I received Jesus as my Savior at the age of 12. And I remember walking the aisle. I remember receiving him. I remember just the, the, the feeling of excitement and freedom that came. Um, I, had, I had hope for the future again. That was one of the beautiful things I remembered. I no longer wanted to not live. I had a hope for the future. And um, Betty Brinson, a Bible teacher, a mentor and a friend of my mom's that became a mentor and friend of mine as well over the years. She's still alive. She's 95. She's still sharing Jesus. She's still leading people to Christ. She's still doing marriage counseling. She's, she's just she's an amazing lady. She's still setting people free from darkness. Um, all that in the bag of chips just went by. <laughs> she taught our whole family. She led my one brother to Christ. She taught us about God's love. Word of Love Ministry was the name of, that she finally put on her ministry because she taught about God's love in such a beautiful way. And in a counseling session with her when I was 13, I was able to tell her what happened four years prior. And she was able to walk me through and let me know it was not your fault. That did something for me. That set me free in a way. It helped get rid of the guilt and the shame from that. And I believe it was then that my healing process started. It was when that dark box, when the lid came open. And what happens when we open up that the darkness in there. When the light comes, the darkness flees. 
Betty was so gracious, kind, and understanding. She really, she really uh, was a listening ear and a loving arm. And she prayed with me and taught me God's word. She taught me God's design of who I was. And I began to learn what healthy sexuality was in a way that I hadn't before. Um, it made it possible for me to really begin to hear the healing words of Christ over my body, over my life. And it opened up so that before Denny and I, Denny and I got married and after we got married, we were able to talk about it. Because that's a whole new thing once you get married is to process that in a way. Um, it's just best when these things aren't in the dark, when they're out in the open. Um, I understand the multifaceted, paralyzing power of sexual shame. Where, whether it is done to you or by you to somebody else. Um, either way can, be, uh, can affect who you are. The power of the cross is greater and will set you free when you take it to Jesus. There is nothing that the power of the cross, that Jesus, the blood of Jesus, shed for us, cannot set us free from. And there is nothing, just like you're talking about, there is no shame going to Jesus. There is no shame in confessing what has been done to us or what, has, what we have done to anybody else. There's no shame in it. and it, uh, The shame is when we hold on to it and we don't allow the love and the power of the cross to come in and set us free. Um, you know, it allows for love and connection to expel shame and isolation because when we hold on to that, when we hold on to shame, when we hold on to the darkness, it isolates us because we have secrets. Secrets isolate. Secrets separate and keep us uh, from being uh, accepted by the beloved, from being the beloved ourselves. Because we're not worthy. It makes us feel unworthy. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worthy of love. I didn't feel worthy that I should be, that, I, that, that, that God should take a second look at me. But when I began to understand that he did and receive his love, it set me free. I've lived with a subconscious identity of shame that brought disconnection and isolation. And I've experienced the joy and the freedom of love. I choose love. Do I still struggle with fear and shame at times? Yeah, I'm human. We don't ever outgrow that. I will always, it'll always be a choice to hide in fear and take on the identity of shame or be courageous enough to be vulnerable, breaking the chains of shame and walking into the big life of God's amazing love for you and for me. That's the big life, is walking in this amazing love, ladies. Breaking the power of shame over our lives. Bringing it into the light. It doesn't mean you go and broadcast it to everybody, but you find one or two people, trusted people, that you can talk to about it and have them pray for you. They can't, they're not going to fix you. Nobody can fix you. They don't have the answers. Betty didn't have the answer for me. It, it, she wasn't able to fix me, but she took me to the answer of Jesus Christ and his word. And that is, that's where we are, is allowing the work of the Holy Spirit in us to set us free. But he's not going to come in and bowl us over. We have to open up and invite him in. 
It's all about identity. Whose identity will you choose? The God of love or the God of shame? It's a choice. I choose love to accept God's healing power, even though it is challenging at times, no matter what we, have, we are facing, whether it's a sexual wound, whether it, any other, it doesn't matter what we're facing. This is what leads to freedom and connection. When I default to shame, I'm ultimately choosing to reject God's healing power and freedom by holding on to the fear of being rejected and by default, disconnecting from God and others. You see, our sin, ladies, is first to God and not, not trusting him. Isn't that what it started? That Wasn't that one of the first, the first things? It started with a mistrust of God. This mistrust of God leads down a slippery slope that we don't want to go. It leads to bondage. It leads to isolation. It leads to feeling unworthy and unloved and shamed. And that is not who Jesus Christ died for us to be, ladies. He died for us to be free. Are we accepting his sacrifice or are we rejecting it? His power, his love is great enough to set us free. The only way the pain of the past can be can be comfort to another person is when we allow the Lord to come in and heal us so that our story can be a comfort to somebody else. To heal, to heal us, God offers comfort to all. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, it says, All praise to God. I stand here and I give all praise to God. There were times when I put my hand up, to be molested again, and some people far worse, some people far less. We don't compare our pain. Our pain is our pain. There's people that, that were abused far worse than I ever was. But this was my story. It was my pain. You have your pain and what you were walked through and how you were violated or mistreated or ignored or whatever it was. That is yours, and it's not to be compared with anybody else's. But in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. That's what we see. That's what we see Jesus and the sinners come into him when he reaches out and touches the lepers. He's the God of all comfort. He's not judging them. He's not harshing, Oh, don't touch me. You'll corrupt me. That's not it. Ladies, we all have things in our lives. There is no shame. We take it to the cross. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So until we allow God to comfort us in our pain and heal us, we will not be able to help comfort somebody else in theirs. Because we haven't received the comfort from the Father yet. But once we receive that, once we open the box and we let him, we let him in, then, in that, because once we receive comfort, we receive healing. In that comfort, we receive healing. And then we have that comfort and healing of the Lord to share with others. Are we to be teaching, training, and modeling sexuality? Yes. 
educating our daughters about the beauty of their God-given sexuality and singleness or the beauty of sexuality and marriage is, a good, is good and right. This is different than awakening it, awakening sexuality before its time. My thoughts on this is it is important to uplift the single woman or a man who chooses to put God before marriage. This is honorable. We need to lift that up. Marriage is sacred and honorable, but so is somebody who chooses to be single, not just so they can be footloose, fancy free, and go have illicit affairs with whoever they want to, but so that they can serve the Lord, like John the Baptist and Jesus. These are sacred roles. Actually, teaching them about the beauty of God's design for a man and a woman's sexuality can help them appreciate their sexuality and stay pure. Again, understanding a thing, understanding the value of it, the creator of it. When we have understanding, it gives purpose to what we do. Proverbs tell us that all you're getting, get understanding. Because it gives purpose to it. Has anybody heard that if you feel like you're getting sick, to take 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C on the hour for every, until you feel better? I've heard that for years. Do you know why? I didn't know why, and I didn't do it. Robin? That's, well, you can't take too much, but why, why does it work? It interrupts the cycle of repeating, of the virus repeating, of the germs repeating. It, it interrupts their cycle of reproducing. So if you take it on the hour, it interrupts that cycle, and it kills it at the very beginning of something. And it works. It's amazing. But you know, now that I understand it, I use it. I didn't understand it before. It was just something I heard. I wasn't sure if it really worked or not. But anyhow, understanding. Get understanding. So when we teach our young people about their God-given being glory of God, their masculine roles or their feminine roles, then it gives them understanding of why they can wait for marriage of why they're looking for a man of a certain caliber, of why they need to have a gentle and quiet spirit, of why they don't open the doors of, sex, of love, of sex, before it's time. They, have, they see it as sacred and holy. It gives purpose. It gives strength. Okay. The only way... Where was I? The only way we can glorify God is by humbling ourselves, giving him our sin, wounds, guilt, shame, fear, and pride, then allowing him to heal and restore us to himself. You see, God doesn't just forgive us. That's not the end of the story. He restores us. That's redemption. It's not just forgiving. It's restoring. So that which has been lost is restored. I think of the prodigal father, the prodigal son. He didn't just forgive him. I mean, it was kill the fatted calf, take off his robe, give him the ring. He was giving him his inheritance back. That's different than just being forgiven. John 17, 5, 9, and 10 says, or 9 to 10, it says, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. My prayer is not for the world, but for those who have given me but for those you have given me because they belong to you all who are mine 
belong to you. And you gave them to me. So they bring me glory. I think if more husbands saw their wives, that they are from the Lord, they are a gift from the Lord, they would treat them differently. And their wives would then bring them glory in a way that they couldn't even fathom. It's this beautiful synergy. Redeemed. Since the condition of the fallen glory of man is shame, then the first need to be redeemed the first need to be redeemed is forgiveness and allowing God to restore us. For to be a redeemed glory of man, we have to receive that forgiveness and that restoration. So what is it to be redeemed? Christ's redemption has freed us from guilt and shame, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I listed some things here, the benefits of redemption. And then there's scriptures. If you want to go, there's scriptures for all of these. But it includes eternal life, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, freedom from the law's curse, adoption into God's family, deliverance from sin's bondage, <laughs> peace with God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As redeemed women, we are forgiven, holy, justified, free, adopted, and reconciled. Ladies, this is a great deal. What are we holding back from? I mean, it, God, God has done this for us. He's not holding back. We're the ones that open the door for him to come in and bring that healing to us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, who hangs crucified on a tree, on the cross. And so why did Jesus do this? Why did he lay down his life? Out of obedience to the Father. But also Ephesians 5.27 tells us. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church. Without a spot or wrinkle. Or any other blemish. Instead she will be holy and without fault. This is why he did this. He, for, for us that we could be holy and without blemish. Christ's redemption has freed us from guilt and shame. Being justified Freely by his grace through the redemption of Christ. Um, I think we see a beautiful picture here about the, the God's glory seen in Zion in the church. A husband and wife become one. This is true in marriage. This is also true with Christ in the church. Let's look at um, Isaiah 60, 1 to 5. Every man has a need to be honored and respected just as every woman has a need to be valued and cherished. And this is part of the oneness. Isaiah 60, 1 to 5. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Arise, shine, for your light has come. If we have shame, do we shine? If we have guilt, do we shine? No. If we're wounded, do we shine? See, darkness covers the earth and the thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. 
Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Arise and shine. This is, this is why we want to open our box and allow his love to shine in so we can be set free. Yesterday morning, um, after our D prayer group, the uh, Carol and Barb and Pam, they prayed for me. They prayed for you. They were praying for y'all. And after we got off the phone, uh, I had, I saw, you remember the rooster story? I told you about that rooster. Who remembers the rooster story? Okay. Um, I saw myself walking down to the barnyard. And right before I got to the oat bin, it hit me. In my mind's eye, I saw, I grew up in the land of milk and honey. We milked a cow. And... Um, we had beehives, and I was the only one that extracted the honey from the beehives. My dad helped me. And so, in one sense, here, I really did grow up in the land of milk and honey. But there's giants in the land of milk and honey. Um, and just like that rooster was a giant for me, so then I saw myself walking a little bit further, and out came the rooster. And he wasn't just trying to flog me. He was trying to flog you as well. And it just, it's like the Lord said, there are ladies there that have giants that are keeping them from walking into the land of promise that I have for them. Fear will always challenge your trust in God. That's what fear does. It challenges your trust in God. And if we allow fear to keep us from trusting God, we will also allow fear to push us into compromise. In an article, Seven Giants in the Promised Land, Todd Bentley says, Anak means to choke, to strangle. Now, um, I forgot to put the reference in here. But in uh, Numbers 13.22 is where this is from. It talks about Anak. And that was from giants. He was a descendant. He was part of the giants. means to choke and to strangle as if strangling someone with a necklace. The devil wants to choke out, strangle, and suffocate the promise of God, often by a slow process. King Solomon said, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Proverbs 29.18 in the Amplified. The enemy wants to choke out and strangle the vision. The devil just doesn't do it overnight, though. He's been working slowly on our mindsets ever, every day since we were young children. Isn't that so true? Our mindsets, ladies, are so powerful. I mean, the wound that came to me, the mindsets that I had, they were taking my life in one direction. But because they were interrupted by the power of God, and I was set free of those, it took my life in a different direction. Some believers carry mindsets into the kingdom that are opposing and blocking them from, a po from God's promise 
and God wants to set them free. God wants to set us free. When we have been sexually, this is my addition here, when we have been sexually violated, it opens a door into our soul for the enemy to lie to us, to bring condemnation and shame that keeps us from being the radiant daughters of the king. So in Numbers 13.22, here are three tactics that Anak's descendants, there's, there's three of them, Aham, Sheshai, and Talmai, planned to use against the children of Israel to choke and strangle God's promise to them, and the enemy of our souls continues to use these same tactics in our lives today. There's nothing new under the sun. A-H-I-H-I. M-A-N, A-M-N means to block or hinder. That's what the name means, is to block or hinder. This stronghold wants to block and hinder the Holy One's plan and the Holy One's purposes in your life. Shishai means to whiten or whitewash. This stronghold wants to make something look like more than what it really is. Like, if you take an old broken down rusted car and you put whitewash over it, the thing doesn't run, it doesn't really work, but it looks like it has a fresh coat of paint. It looks like more than what it is. And three, talmei means to accumulate. The devil wants us to be so busy accumulating material goods and getting so involved in the cares of this world and its entertainment that we don't have time for God's purposes and promises. We can see historically that when the Israelites confronted their enemies in one generation when they went in to take the promised land, they had to deal with them in another generation. So this is generational. Just because we had Christian parents doesn't mean that we don't need to fight the enemy for ourselves and fight our own giants. And we're going to have to deal with these strongholds too. When we take the land of our souls... It's not just taking the land out there and getting five acres or ten acres or a hundred acres. If you think of your soul as property, of reclaiming, taking the land, ladies, of your soul back from the enemy. Um, we're going to have to go to Hebron ourselves and overcome not only the demonic strategies but also the mindsets that bring deception. Walking into the promised land. The promised land is our inheritance, our prophetic destiny. It's what God has promised you. And just like the Israelites did, we need to too. And there's a lot more in here. I want to read the seven giants. And this is just an illustration. Each one of these rocks, before I came, God said, grab seven dark rocks and seven light rocks. These, I want these seven dark rocks. They're beautiful rocks and they're wonderful rocks. But I want them right now to represent these seven giants that they faced going in to reclaim their land and that we face today to reclaim that of our souls. And then the light rocks back here for when we reclaim it, what's on the other side. They're all heart rocks. But um, the seven giants in the land, these, were keep, these are what keep us from shining. These giants. Jebusite, you know, these are all the ites, okay? Jebusite means trodden down. And there's more on my notes if you want to go online or look up the link. There's more to it. Two? Um, 
the seven giants, uh, seven giants in the land. By the link is on here, but it's by Todd Bentley. Uh, yeah, it's a great article. Jebusite means trodden down. Anybody ever felt trodden down? Anybody feel trodden down tonight? <laughs> this tribe represents those who are discouraged, overwhelmed, and defeated. There is, a, there is guilt, condemnation, shame, the spirit of heaviness and depression. The Girgashites means the dwellers of the clay, the dwellers of the marsh, compromise or living in the gray areas. The Canaanites means materialism. The Hittites means fear. The Perizzites means open and unwalled. This tribe was a roaming tribe that never bothered to secure their dwellings by building walls and cities. This open, unprotected existence represents a type of spiritual immorality. No walls, no boundaries. We also call this the spirit of Babylon, which represents lust and immorality. Six, Amorite means pride and rebellion, proud, boasting, bitter rebels. To be proud and haughty, we read about it there in Ezekiel 16. Hivites mean lie openly. This tribe represents a type of the spirit of humanism. The spirit is represented as a serpent. Humanism is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, of all evil spirits to work in the world today. Because it says, I am my own God. That's what humanism is. I don't need God. I am my own God. So those are, these are the, the seven giants that we face. And we need God to help us to face these giants. Now, in Exodus 3, 17, it says, I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. We all have these giants, ladies. And the Lord, he has gone before us. He's gone before us to fight for us. We don't do it in our own strength. Todd Bentley writes, Here we are, hundreds of generations later, dealing with the same kind of strongholds, the same demonic tactics and strategies. The giants are the same. But let's take note of Joshua's counsel to the people. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. From Numbers 14.9. Yes, the giants are there, but they are our bread. We eat them. <laughs> We're not afraid of them. We conquer them through Christ. There will be giants to set, set up to oppose God's will for our lives, but they will be bread for us. There's... Um, these three little friends I would like for you to meet. They're sitting up here watching y'all tonight. Here we have, we have Hope. And Hope sits on my, in my closet as a reminder. And here we have Grace. My mom gave me Grace. She's praying. And here is my hero. 
represents my hero anyhow, the Lamb of God. And he is here, and he is with us, and he holds us, and he loves us, and he draws us in near, and he heals us. I just think it's so important for us to remember that this is, that it's hope, that it's God's grace. We have hope in him, and it's his grace that carries us through that sets us free, that we turn to him, that we trust him, and we live in him. Jesus, the lamb, the God of all hope, will give you grace, will give each one of us grace to walk in this. It's in the Hosea 2.15. I want to close with this verse. I will return your vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, and she did long as she did long ago, when she was young, when I was when I freed her from her captive in Egypt. Isn't that beautiful? We are freed. The God of all hope. He forgives us. He restores us. He cleanses us. And so there's a song here that I want to to um, play for y'all. You've probably heard it before. But it uh, is a beautiful song that I think really encaptures what God is wanting to do. And it's called Redeemed by Big Daddy Weave. After this song, if there's anybody that wants prayer, listen to this. Write some things down. If anybody wants prayer, there will be several ladies up here. You can come up for prayer. We'd love to pray with you if there's anything that you want to get. You just want the Lord to touch or minister to you or to confess. Um, Come up and we would love to pray with you. We humble our hearts before you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I want to thank you for personally setting me free and redeeming me from my sin and from my wounds and from being molested and that I no longer live in sexual shame, but I live in the power of your spirit. And I pray this for my sisters that if there's anyone here tonight dealing with a wound in their lives, from somewhere in their past, or even recently, Lord, I pray for healing for them. I pray that they would be set free, and that our identity is in you and your love for us. Our identity is not in what has been done to us. Our identity is you, love. We receive you. We thank you. I thank you. I pray over these women that they will be the glory of man that you have died to make them to be. I cover them and bless them with the blood of Jesus and pray that they are forgiven and pray that they are set free and pray that they are healed to be the glory of man that you have called and identified them to be. You created them to be. And so, Lord, I bless these ladies. I thank you for them. I thank you for their diligence. And just pray that you would minister to them as they go and that your truth would resonate within their soul. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.